John chapter 21, verse 25, and um, we're going to want to read this verse of Scripture. And it's just an incredible way to end a gospel. John really did an incredible job of ending his gospel. And it says, there are also many other things which Jesus did. Everyone say, many other things. Many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And so, I, I want to title this uh, Room for God. Room for God. And I want to talk about this tonight. Let's pray, ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, we love you. We thank you for your people that are here tonight, your word that is about to go forth. I pray that you would anoint the preaching of it, that we would hear it, receive it, oh God, I pray. I'm asking, Lord, that you would minister in your spirit tonight. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive. Get us a mind, oh God, to receive the revelation of your word, I pray. I pray, God, increase our faith. I pray, God, encourage our heart. I pray, Lord, that you would minister in this house tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. John has recorded many incredible things in his gospel that Jesus did. And just some absolutely incredible uh, works, miracles that Jesus did, such as he turned water into wine. And, uh, you know, nobody talks about that much. Nobody wants to explore that. But Jesus turned water into wine. <laughs> That's his first miracle. Some people's ears perked up at that. Others got nervous, but it's all right. It's in the book. We may as well talk about it. Jesus did something totally unorthodox. He walked into the temple, flipped tables, made a whip, drove out all the animals that were in cages that were being sold for sacrifice, convenient sacrifice. We've talked about that. Jesus did that. He made the religious people very upset. Jesus met a woman at the well she didn't know who he was, and he asked for a drink of water, and he crossed racial boundaries and spoke to a woman that the Jews considered a dog, and she, uh, her life was a mess, and he asked for a drink of water, and uh, she was like, you want a drink from me? You know, you, you, you um, you're a Jew, you're speaking to me. In the story, we actually never find out whether or not that woman gave Jesus a drink of water. Um, she just kept coming up with excuses as to why not to give him a drink of water. And finally, Jesus said, well, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would actually be asking him for a drink of water because the water that I give is living water and you'll never thirst again. And she's like, well, I want this water. And... Um, Lo and behold, long story short, Jesus reveals to her he's the Messiah, he's the Christ. And he told her uh, 
life she had been living without her telling him that life that she had been living. And that blew her mind. And that was her greatest outreach motivator. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Uh, how many of us today would just be elated if Jesus just exposed everything we ever did? And like, you've got to come meet this man. He read my mail. Now, we get nervous. We get nervous. But I think sometimes we need Jesus to walk up in the middle of our life and tell us everything we ever did. Because sometimes, how else are you going to know what to repent of if you're blind to it? How else are you going to know what to change, how to change, unless Jesus reveals to you, there's something in you, I'm wanting you to surrender to me. And so... Jesus did many incredible things. Jesus made very powerful, interesting statements in the Gospel of John. He makes these I am statements. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, uh, in the garden, the temple soldiers come to him to arrest him and are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And they fall backwards onto the ground because Jesus wasn't just admitting I am Jesus of Nazareth, but the I am statement Jesus made in the garden in that moment harkens back to when God revealed himself to Moses as the I am. Jesus was equating himself to that. And so if we need that broken down a little bit more plainly for us tonight. Jesus is the I am in flesh. That, that's who he is. He is the burning bush revealed in the man, Jesus Christ. Yahweh incarnate, Yahweh in the flesh. So when Jesus said, I am, he's not some second person of a three-person Godhead. Scripture says, all the fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily. The fullness, the fullness, that means the complete Godhead was in the body of Jesus Christ. So when you saw Jesus, you saw the Father because Jesus was the everlasting Father in flesh. Anybody that still believes that today? That is Jesus. He is the one true God manifest in the flesh, and that is a powerful truth. That is the truth. That is the hope that we have understanding this, uh, who Jesus was, who Jesus is. When you call on Jesus, you call on God. When you say the name Jesus, you're saying the name of God because everything you need from God is found in the name Jesus. In the Old Testament, we find that the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, he is uh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. He's, he's Jehovah Shalom, my peace. But you find it all in one fascinating package of Jesus. When you say Jesus, he is our healer. When you say Jesus, he is our provider. When you say Jesus, he is our salvation. All of those things that describe who God is, it's wrapped up in Jesus. Why? Because the fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily. Somebody say amen. 
These are the truths revealed to us in the gospel of John. But John ends his gospel by saying there are also many other things which Jesus did. And and I haven't even mentioned everything Jesus did. Uh, Jesus did many miracles. Jesus did many incredible signs and wonders. And and, uh, yet John says, what I've written, I've just written enough for you to believe. But I haven't written everything. I haven't told you everything. And Jesus did many other things. And if they should be written, if I was to write everything Jesus did, I suppose that even the world, everyone say it's a big place. I mean, how many have traveled the world? Raise your hand. There's like two people that have traveled the world, maybe. Not even the full world. Traveled a lot more than others, and you haven't even traveled the entire world. And John is saying that everything that Jesus did, if every single thing Jesus did, what John is referring to is his earthly ministry. Okay, three and a half years. That's what John's referring to. If I was to write to you about everything that Jesus did in three and a half years, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff that Jesus did. That's a lot of miracles, a lot of signs, a lot of wonders, a lot of works that Jesus did. I want to ask us tonight, have you ever thought about the other things Jesus did? The things we don't know about. The things that are not recorded in the Gospels. The things that are not recorded in John's Gospel. What are those other things? We may or we may never know. However, there's a principle we find here. That Jesus did do a global filling amount of works that if they were all to be written in a book, if they were all to be written in books, John says, I suppose the world itself could not contain it. Jesus did that in three and a half years. However, Jesus did not do that in one place. But he did do it in approximately a 100-mile radius. Not even a 100-mile radius, just a 100-mile stretch from north to south. Jesus was very local in his ministry. When you compare the fact that everything Jesus did was really just kind of along that Middle Eastern seaboard over brushing up against Iran, Jesus got into Syria a little bit. Uh, in, in such, but everything Jesus did that would completely fill the world in books was in that small space. Um, that's kind of mind-boggling if, if you think about it. And, and with that in mind, even then, Jesus didn't do all of this everywhere. You see, because it is recorded in the Gospels, That Jesus went into certain cities and he did not do many mighty works. He didn't do hardly anything. (laughs) And what's so fascinating about it is he said, the the, the gospels say Jesus 
uh, in, in, in referring to Nazareth, his hometown, he, he did not do many mighty works there. It says, save, heal a few. <laughs> a few. <laughs> and, 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 and we, we uh, sometimes, when we hear about one miracle, that's like, my God, we're taking over the bay now because somebody got healed of back pain. Like, here we go. And the Gospels record, Jesus did not do many mighty works there, save heal a few. And then it says why? Because of their unbelief. Now, at some point, we as the people of God in the 21st century have to begin to answer to the word of God. At some point, we have to. At some point, we've got to take our life and look into the word of God and see how it compares. And it says Jesus didn't do much there because of their unbelief. But John says that I haven't even written everything Jesus did. And if I was to write it all, the world itself could not contain the books. But in, as I've said, and I'm making this point, in certain cities, Jesus hardly did anything. In other cities, like Capernaum, Jesus did many mighty works, and yet they still didn't repent. And Jesus says it's going to be easier on Judgment Day for Sodom and Gomorrah than it was for these cities because you saw the mighty works of God and you still didn't repent. So with one city, Jesus hardly does anything because of their unbelief. In other cities, Jesus just kind of throws out the, 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 the red carpet of just, here's a sign, here's a wonder, here's a miracle you need healed. Everybody in the building gets healed, and they're healed, and, they, and, they're, and they're rejoicing, and they still don't repent. So we see here that just because... Jesus may do many mighty works in a place doesn't mean that the people will repent. But on the flip side of things, Jesus not doing many mighty works in a place is attributed to unbelief because it comes back to this. Wherever there's room for God, God will work. That's the bottom line. God will work. If we make room for him, God will work. If we make room for God in our families, God will change our families. That's the bottom line. If we make room for God in our marriages, our marriages will be better. And there's no marriage in this room tonight that is 100% what it should be. If we make room for God in our church, there's no limit to what God will do in our church. There's no limit to what God will do in this city when there is a people that make room for him to work through them to reach the people around them. You see, the magnitude of the miraculous is based on the room God has given 
If we don't expect God to do anything, God's not going to do anything. And it doesn't matter how we've been, what our background, our background has nothing to do with it. Our faith has everything to do with it. Our faith has everything to do with it. Some may say, you know, I've, I've heard this like, well, you know, you don't, you don't know what they've been through or you don't know what I've been through. And, and you know, it is what it is. But at some point, we got to stop making excuses because when I hear that, I just want to say, but the God that I serve, he's greater. The God we serve is greater than what we've been through. And the God we serve is greater than what we've done. Our past is no match for our God. I want to say that again. Our past is no match for our God. Our circumstance is no match for our God. It doesn't matter how disastrous the situation is. It doesn't matter how sick we may be. It doesn't matter how a wreck life may feel. It is no match for Jesus. You know, I, I just, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't understand in the 21st century why, why there is a, a lack of expectation for what God can do. Because here's the deal. We're not living in the Bible. We have the finished product. You, all you have to do is open up to any page and you see that the God of this Bible is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Anybody believe that in the house tonight? He's able to do that. But just because he's able to do that doesn't mean he always does it. And sometimes it's because of his plan. And other times it's because of unbelief. And what is unbelief? It's just not giving God room. That's it. Just not room. And and so... What we find is the places that Jesus was not given room to work, he left. Now, does that, does, that, does that cause anybody in this place tonight to feel a tinge? I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about big conviction right now. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be satisfied with about that much. Does that, when I say where Jesus was not allowed to work, he left, does that make your heart rate just go boop just a little bit, like, And it's in the book. Wherever he's not allowed to work, he leaves. Because Jesus knows there's a lot of people that will receive me if I come. And I'm asking New Life Church, do we have room in this place for God to work? And I'm, I'm talking big, big. You see... You see, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to communicate the word of God tonight, to open our eyes to see that what we think God can do is really an insult to his ability. But, you know, we, it comes back to our hunger. It comes back to our desire. It comes back to our expectation. Our expected. What do you expect God to do? 
What do you expect God to do? Is there any anticipation in your heart, in your mind, in, in your faith of, I, I, I expect God to make my family whole. I expect God to reverse the effects of sin in a loved one's life and to redeem the time that sin has stolen. And in the end of it all, when they are reconciled to God, he gives them double for their trouble. <laughs> oh, he can. The Bible is full of examples where he did. And if he did it then, he can do it again. I've come tonight under the unction of the Holy Ghost to stir the faith of every person in this room because Sunday we heard everybody has faith. It just matters who and where you put it. But if you'll put your faith in Jesus, you're going to see him do things that you don't have a journal big enough to write about. You don't have words adequate enough to testify about because the God we serve is able to do anything. Let's praise him in this house for a moment. Oh, you, you, you may have been, your, your, your marriage may have been in a dry place for a couple years, but I'm here tonight to tell you, if you put God back in the center, that marriage is going to be exactly how he designed it to be. Your loved ones may be away from God right now, but God has put a burden in your heart to pray for them. You need to yield to that burden, give word to that burden, and in the name of Jesus, the Spirit of God is already at work on that son, on that daughter, on that family member. Do you believe he's going to bring them back? Do you believe he's going to heal? Do you believe he's going to restore? Do you believe that our God can do anything? Let's praise him in this house. Your, your faith may, may have, 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 has taken a shot at some point along the way. And, and, and you haven't fully recovered to, for whatever reason it may be. The reason doesn't matter anymore. I'll tell you what matters is whether or not you're going to take that faith in the condition it is and put it all in Jesus again and allow him to do in your life what nobody else and what nothing else can do. Because if you put it back in Jesus, I promise you healing is coming. I promise you joy is coming in the morning. I promise you a restoration and revival to your mind, your spirit, and your family is coming. Put it in Jesus. Oh yes, make room for God.
in your life, in your family. And for goodness sake, if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, we may as well have a large space open for Jesus Christ to walk up in here and say, I don't like that in your life. I want you to repent of it. I, I, I want you to begin to pray for this. I want you to go into fasting for this. I want the people of God to shake themselves. I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any man will open, I will come in. We need Jesus to walk up and down the aisles of New Life Church and say, I'm calling you to more. I am the God of greater. Believe in me again. The Holy Ghost is calling people up and out of the pit, up and out of the valley of dry bones, saying, I did not call you to live in death and desperation and discouragement and dismay. I have called you to be seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And I am seeking this night to elevate your faith to believe, to believe. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come in. What does that opening of the door mean? I've made room for Jesus. And what is the room? Me. My heart, my house. I've made room for Jesus. I'm asking the people of New Life Church tonight, have you made room for Jesus? Have you made room for what God wants to do through you. Because here's the deal. Not what God only wants to do to you. Or what God wants to do for you. But also what God wants to do through you. You understand the spirit filled believer. Is not meant to be a vessel that holds water alone. But it says that living waters, rivers of living water are meant to flow out of us. That means whatever is being poured into me is also meant to flow out of me. So what God wants to do for you tonight, he wants to do it with the anticipation that he's also going to do something through you. And this city needs people in this church who will allow God to flow through them at their job, in their neighborhood, in this city, at the store, at the gas station, God to flow through them. Oh yes. We find in 2 Kings chapter 4, a Shunammite woman, Shunammite woman, Elisha the prophet is coming by. She constrains him to come in and eat, and her and her husband are there. And she says, Behold, I perceive this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. They built an addition to their house for a man of God. They built... In addition to their house, for God, that room was reserved 
for God. That room represented they made room for God. And the prophet is there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. And he called her and she stood before him and he said, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. Careful in the sense she took care of them. She cared for them. What is to be done for thee? (laughs) Because you can't make room for God and God not meet a need. You can't make room for God and then God not do something in your life that you never could have imagined could be accomplished. And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, she doesn't have a child and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, you shall embrace embrace a son. She conceived and she had a son. When the child was grown, it fell on a day that when went out to his father, to the reapers, he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She called unto her husband and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men. They go, they seek Elisha. She comes to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her far off, he said to Gehazi, behold, yonder is that the Shunammite woman. She comes to the man of God. She explains what happens. Elisha returns with the woman. Elisha comes into the house. The child is dead, laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door upon them twain and prayed to the Lord. He went up and he lay upon the child. And all of a sudden, the child lives again. You see, this woman made room for God. And through that, A child she could not conceive, she conceives. Something that seemed impossible and that she had given up hope for now happens. All because she made room for God. Years go by. The boy grows. My head, my head. Passes out and he dies. That woman could have shut the door to the room she had made for God lit a match and burn it down. But instead, she takes her dead son, who is a result of her making room for God, and carries him into that room and lays him in that room and then relentlessly searches for the man of God. And he comes back, back to the place where she received that promise, And Elisha prays and stretches himself out over that boy, and the boy lives again. What's the moral of the story? That even if we've made room for God, 
And God fulfilled a promise, and the promise now seems dead. If you'll take that dead promise and put it back in the room you made for God, what is dead now will live again. Is there anybody here tonight that believes that? Dead is not too dead when you make room for God. Lazarus, come forth. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the life, but even if it's dead, he's also the resurrection and he can make it live again. Your faith may seem dead, but if you put it in the room you made for God, it's going to live again. Your situation may seem dead, but if you put it back in Jesus, it's going to live again. You may have been hoping for something to happen years ago, but you gave up on it now. If you'll take it and you'll put it in the room you made for God, it's going to live again. Why? Because if we make room for God to work, the world cannot contain the testimonies of what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do. I'm here tonight to tell you that if we will use Scripture as our inspiration and not our opinions, not our traditions, and not our history that we have in Christianity, but if we will use Scripture as our foundation and our basis for inspiration and faith, I'm here tonight to tell you that if this church will make room for God, there is not room big enough to contain what God will do in this city. I'm here tonight to tell you it is possible to have a mind-blowing revival. That when God is all through and finished with what he's going to do, we just stand here like, how did he do it? Well, we just made room for God. How, how was this building filled in one year? We just made room for God. How, how did someone walk in and hand us the keys to a building and said, it's yours? We just made room for God. We didn't stress. We didn't worry. We just made room for God. We loved people. We preached the gospel. And we said, whosoever will, let him come. And Jesus says, that's a people I can work through. Now I am going to do things they never could imagine. Do you believe that Jesus is about to do that? I feel people's faith in the room expanding. You're, you're believing God now for things you, you gave up on. But no, tonight the Lord is walking up and down the aisles of this church saying, if you'll just make room for me, I'll do what you never could have imagined. If you believe that tonight, why don't you just put your faith back in Jesus right now? Why don't you allow the Lord to resurrect your faith? Let's pray for a moment, church. Make room for God. Oh, God, let us not be like Nazareth and have unbelief. But let us also not be like Capernaum and not repent. Let us repent and let us have faith. And I pray God walk amongst us and do miracles, signs, and wonders in the lives of your people. And use your people to do miracles, signs, and wonders in this city. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would peel back the unbelief. And that you would begin to do things that we've only read about in this book. That you would begin to perform things that we thought were only for the Bible. But God, I pray that the God of the Bible would also be the God of New Life Church. 
I pray God called back a lost child of God. I pray God that you would heal someone in their body this night. I pray God that you would do a work this night that tomorrow we begin to hear the testimony of. We make room for you, God. We make a large room for you, God. We just want you, Jesus. Make room for God in your family right now. Make room for God in your home right now. And that problem you're dealing with is going to be resolved. Oh, it's going to be resolved. Take that thing that seems dead and place it in the space that you have made available to God. And I promise you, it's going to live again. Solo bohoye yanamaha.